So I just uh, totally stunned you right there in the middle of our, our story it's while the 30-second countdown <laughs> happened. I, I, I thought we were going to be able to, to keep going, but uh, it, it hit us with the mute there. All right, so this week we're talking sports is a business. People always say professional leagues are a business, but what exactly does that mean? Drew Gear from the Rockpile Report is joining us tonight to discuss everything from financial implications to media criticism to fan reactions. In business, time is money. There are standards and expectations that ultimately boil down to the bottom line. Regardless of the circumstances or excuses, results matter. So Sterling, my normal co-host for the show, will be joining us shortly. He had uh, some things to take care of. In the meantime, uh, we've got Drew Gear from the Rockpile Report joining us. Drew, if you want to give a, a brief little introduction and follow it up with the answer to my first question, which is, what does sports as a business mean to you? First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, <laughs> I'm Drew Gear, the host of the Rockpile Report. You can find us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. Also, you can find our podcast. We are the pettiest, hardest drinking bills podcast that anyone will ever find. We're also the oldest. We predate. Oh, geez. We predate Rex Ryan. We predate most of the national media and local media getting their bills podcast put together. We are the uh, reckon the nicest thing that uh, Joe, uh, the nicest thing that Joe Miller and all of the guys that he's put together have ever said is that so, you know we do this show every year at a bar called called O'Neill's ahead of the season, right across the street from the Bills Stadium. That's where my uh, uncle has parked for twenty five years, right in the yeah. corner there. So we do a show there every year from the bar. And it was John Fina and it was Joe Miller from Buffalo rumblings. And it was also, what's his, uh, his name's escaping me from blocked on bills. Chris, Joe Marino, Joe Marino. And Joe Marino called me the Mel Kuyper of bills podcasting because he goes, you were doing this before anyone cared <laughs> what it was about. And that meant so much to me because we've been doing this. Chris and I as a hobby. My producer and I have been doing this for a long time and I've seen fads come and go. I've seen styles come and go. I think honesty is best. And when I hear sports as a business, the first thing I think of, look at this current, like I love that we're doing this Super Bowl week because there is no bigger emblem of sports as a business is the fact that Taylor Swift and all of her presence around the ascension of the Kansas City Chiefs all the way to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists who believe that the NFL has propped them up specifically because the Swifties are following and that there's money to be gained by the NFL. So let me jump in here real quick before you finish that thought, because they've actually put a number on that motivation and it's $322 million of brand value. This relationship has already added to the NFL. They've they've projected sports is a business, baby. Yeah. This is, there's there's plenty of motive there to advertise that relationship as much as possible. And this is exactly what we're going to talk about. It's this idea that you don't exist in a vacuum. You don't just do the thing you're doing because people enjoy it. You do it because it's profitable. Now, the players don't get paid what they get paid because people like ben multi-billionaire benefactors feel like they want to watch them do it. They do it because they know that 
player X who makes X will put asses in seats that makes this worth Y. Famous we, uh, movie quote here for you. Mm -hmm. When's the last time 80,000 people showed up to your science experiment? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, do you know the movie? Do you know the movie? I don't. Oh, the fucking program, bro. See? Ah. When when they're trying to get Joe Kane back and and he's he's in front of the panel and they're they're the the the, the guy with the bow ties all complaining that the football program shouldn't run the school and, and the coach is like when's the last time eighty thousand people showed up to your your science experiment buddy and so this is it like I just I actually had a conversation with somebody on Twitter today and I don't engage people on Twitter especially when they start talking about sports oh, I wish I had your restraint. I just don't. I made it my new. I think New Year's resolutions are stupid, but I agreed I'm not going to talk to people about sports on Twitter because it's a waste of time. But Mine a guy to be respectful for to him, and it didn't last long. A guy commented about something about how I said basically Nick Saban punched out of the NCAA because he saw where the NIL thing was going. Yep, and he saw that the transfer portal and the NIL program while being good things have no restrictions and no guidelines in place. And so it's anarchy and that something bad is coming. He said, he goes, there's going to be a lightning rod event that shows everyone. This is a terrible idea. Oh, when one of these 17, 18 year olds kill themselves in their Ferrari or the Lamborghini that they bought off this. Well, and maybe not even that because kids do that all the time, but there's something that's going to happen. That's going to bring everyone's attention to the fact that, wait, we've let this go without governance for too long. And by that point, it'll be too late. Something will happen and it'll be detrimental to the entire game of college football. So he punched out and somebody came in and said, well, his money and he made this and he could have given that money to teachers. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. He made $10 million a year. Yes, that's a lot of money. But also you look at the collegiate landscape and you want to talk about sports as a business. The Alabama Crimson Tide in 2023 made $214 million of revenue for that university. You don't think that gives them an incentive to pay him more? To maybe give some of his players who might not academically qualify <laughs> a, a pass here or there? Who may not, Because ultimately, this thing that he does butters the school's bread to a degree that no one else on the because he's talking about how well other teachers do this and they put people into actual careers guess what none of those careers bring in the revenue that nick saban does yeah sports are a business and the college recognizes that so they they compensate him at 10 million dollars a year because they see the value of 214 million dollars revenue and what they can do with that around campus for other sports programs how that gets doled out at the end of the day sports if you go beyond high school there is always a financial implication there is always a financial implication you just have to look at where it leans and you can figure out where things are going here's here's one of the underlying parts of this discussion that has to be factored in throughout it i'm a firm believer in this day and age if you're just being honest with yourself anything that money and power touches it corrupts and so everyone can sit here and be as virtuous as they want and and talk about protect the shield or whatever the quotes that the other leagues might have but when you're really talking about sports as a business then 
the bottom line is all that matters. The outcome's all oh, the only thing that matters. And the first road to that outcome is putting a heavy hand on on favorable what we started the talking about with the Super Bowl and all of that. And it, it's already been argued during the Tom Brady court cases that that the NFL is sports entertainment and not a sports league. So if they wanted to rig games, technically they could because it's for entertainment. But before we get too far down down that whole element, I want to circle back to the the NIL that you brought up and and ask you a question that came up on on the show a few weeks ago when we were talking about parents in sports. The 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 NIL part is kind of okay. So the pendulum was always over here forever of taking advantage of players. They're not getting anything except maybe a free education, and even that's become a joke. So we're clearly at the extreme end of taking advantage of these student athletes now is the nil deal in its current form a overreaction and complete pendulum swing in the opposite direction and eventually it'll settle somewhere in the middle or do you think it's a stepping stone in that direction i don't really know how to answer that like i don't know what i think is that we realistically you have to find a middle ground parents are parents parents are parents are parents you always want what's best for your child i have two of them and i look at that and i try to temper what i want versus what i know is good for them i feel like society right now is giving us all a referendum on what happens when you just want the best for and you don't think about what's actually good for right yeah that's a great point and so with that in mind i see this and i look at you know, you have a thing here in your show notes about toxic or healthy goals. I think healthy goals are you should try to achieve as much as you can personally, regardless of what the outcome is. You should always be trying to achieve personally and you should champion that rather than what the outcome is when you win versus when you lose. Because if you promote what happens in a young kid, and say, listen, never mind the NIL bullshit. You're a high school kid who's getting recruited by five different schools. Great. Don't think about the money. Think about what's going to make you happy and what's going to make you the best person. What's going to make you the best athlete you can be? Whose coaching is better? What's going to lead you in the best direction? But that used to be the argument for going to college and playing ball at that level is to to yes. focus on that stuff first before the money gets thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Now, now that the money the money muddles the water even earlier, everything gets knocked down a level because it used to be I want to play college ball because I want to get to the NFL. But if you don't even have to get to the NFL or or the pros anymore to make money, like everything now bumps down to the college kids, which bumps to, or the, to the high school kids, which bumps down to the, the JV and the little league kids. And, and now you got money seeping all the way down the pipeline to the bottom. No, no. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. There we go. Finally, <laughs> my producer finally saw me waving my hands and got the screen right in front of me. I love him for this. This is why I have this, but, but I'm lucky to have this guy guys, Chris Krueger, Rockpile Report, he is the backbone of everything we do here. I'll say this. I think that you're you're correct. When you start monetizing sports, you start moving things down peg by peg by peg, and all those pressures just find a new place to rest. The business of sports shouldn't be on children. Yeah. Shouldn't be on 18-year-olds. Like, 
these are kids. I think back to when I was 18. I was one of the most, well, I mean, I shouldn't say was. I still am one of the more reckless human beings on the face of the earth. You mean we're not 18 anymore, True? I do. Wow. I still, I'm stuck. I could convince I'm 38. I am. I'll tell you what, I would, I, I wish I had my 18 year old knees again. <laughs> I wish I had them back. But what I know is the pressures that are being pushed through the industry of sports change the, the face of what athletics used to be. When you watch children playing sports in high school, it used to be about, I can go and I can send my kid off to a football camp now and again. If I think that he's a high-level athlete, he might get by going into a summer camp, and then he'll play his his senior year of high school. And then he'll go into a specialty camp because he's been recruited somewhere to play college football. Or he's going to try to walk on, and we're going to get him into a clinic to help him with that. Now, these kids are in 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade going to – parents are shelling out thousands of dollars to send their kids to these seven-on-seven camps playing flag football because they go, well, if my, I think my kid's good enough to make it. And that's a fluid term, but they see kids in college getting paid. Yep. <coughs> At a certain point, you have to question, sports is a business – but are parents not also responsible for their role in what happens to their children in the pursuit of this business? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, in 2024, parents aren't responsible for anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying Which, to run counter to that myself. So I'm you're, trying to bring a little bit of the old school back. You're, you're, you're shifting into kind of where I want to go next with this by bringing kind of parents' responsibilities into the mix and all of that. And and because what comes next with sports as a business and there's money on the line is accountability and criticism. Now, in a col- you're a college kid. Your job w- used to be go there to get the education, play the sports second. But now you've got, you got sponsorship money on there. You've got colleges that your, your college set up these deals on the expectation that you're going to be a player, that you're going to deliver results on the field. Now, if you're, if you're a bust in college, that's costing people money. It's not just a free scholarship anymore on that. And where I really want to go with this is, is the accountability and, and criticism aspect in the pro levels, but it, it, it starts now in the college and maybe even earlier on that with Where's the line between you're a student athlete, shit happens, and there's a lot of fucking money on the line here. You dropped the ball, asshole. And 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 which is a fair one to, to be taking a position of? If I'm a fan of Penn State and I know that you're making $10 million a year here to play wide receiver for Penn State, can, do I, can I now be professionally critical of every single thing you do or are you still just a fragile kid that has the weight of the world on your shoulders? I'll say this. It has the same, people have the same energy towards it that I have to Starbucks baristas ever since you decided to unionize. When you decide that you want to be paid what you think, we need, we deserve $20 an hour. And you go, okay, listen. The standards are raised. Well, well, here's the thing. We are not against giving you at Starbucks as an employee, 18 to $20 an hour. We're not against that. 
what we expect though now is that because we're paying you like a professional, you are going to act like a professional and you're going to perform like a professional. And if you don't, if you fail, there will be consequences. And that's the other side of this that no one sees. When you start to monetize youth sports, <laughs> which is what I still look at collegiate sports as. These are underdeveloped kids who are looking for coaching. They have you. You look at some of the best NFL players. They will tell you they got their like the this like the thing that propelled them to greatness in the NFL was what they got in college, right? Like, I think back to like for some Bills examples. I think back to what Stevie Johnson talking about how his wide receiver coach at Kentucky. What's Kentucky? Like Kentucky isn't a great program, but their coach had a lot of basketball experience. And he goes, I learned to run my routes like a point guard in basketball because you take five, six, seven steps before you break into your route. The DB has no idea where you're going and you just cut and you go and it made him successful. He made the NFL. He made a lucrative second contract. He made a lot of money. He was very successful throughout college and in the pros because he was well coached at that level. Yeah. Now this is Kentucky. Coaching matters. And at the same time, what you're doing is you're saying, listen, if he hadn't performed for Kentucky the way he had, they would have benched him for some other kid. Now in this current climate, because they're looking at it going, we're paying for you. <laughs> we're paying for your yeah. production. So those first year that and also how, how coachable are these players going to be? Well, and this is the idea though. That first year or two where Stevie Johnson wasn't really a name. He didn't matter in the any landscape. He was never going to get drafted in the NFL. And then he had a strong final year of college. And because of good coaching, at the last minute, he latched on, figured it out, made the pros, then spent two years just kind of mired in mediocrity until he became what he was. Yeah. Those opportunities will disappear. Because what you're going to do is you're going to professionalize those ranks of college to where coaches now go, listen, I'm paying for you to be a professional. I expect you to execute. You're going to be that Starbucks barista who, if you're making $25 an hour, you better not bring me a cold drink when it's supposed yeah. to be hot. Because I expect you to perform like a professional because you're being paid like it. Well, guess what? You can't put that pressure on what is supposed to be a developmental league. And I think that there is a pervasive thing that's going to happen long-term to the NFL because of this. Now, I want to go back to something that a friend of mine argued about with me years ago. When colleges started going to the veer offense and spread offenses to try to hide shitty offensive lines, teams that didn't have good blocking schemes, and ultimately that couldn't recruit good blocking, they found ways to be competitive because they could score points behind these spread offenses. Yeah. Just and I go, these don't, I, and I said, there's going to be a trickle down to the NFL. And sure enough, look at what tight ends have become over the last 10 years. You don't get a Jack of all trades, do it all tight end anymore. Now you have to be highly specific in what you want. You want a Dalton Kincaid. If you're a bills fan, guess what? He can't block very well. He's electric when you get the ball in his hands. Can't block very well. You want a Dalton Kincaid? Guess what? He's a freak athlete. He can block well. Eh, he doesn't catch very well. 
Yeah. If th- there are no Tony Gonzalez's left because the college game has made them irrelevant. It's well, I don't, I also don't think they're even focusing on developing the blocking side. Once you pr- prove you're an offensive threat, they, they lean yeah. into that and because there's money in that because you're scoring points, which furthers the agenda, which is my point of like, you're doing all these things to monetize this thing, which will make it a business, which will make it like the NFL is now. You look how we abandoned tight ends. <laughs> we as a league have abandoned tight ends in the NFL. College will do that too. And so now Notre Dame might be the only college that has actual tight ends anymore in five years. <laughs> like that's where we're headed because the trickle down effect of the monetization of sports you can't fix it. And now the problem is, is that it, there's a pervasive upwards effect. The NFL can only draft what's available. So for all of us who love football, as we currently see it, you're going to, you're going to see changes. There will inevitably be less one tech D tackles. Why? Because if defensive tackles don't perform, they'll fall yeah. by the wayside. But what is a one tech D tackle? That's a kid who isn't paid to get sacks. He's not paid to he's paid, he's paid to eat space and manhandle one to two 300 pound men at a time. And that will fall by the wayside. Because realistically, the guys who are going to get paid are going to be the guys who make the flashy plays. And this is where football is headed. And eventually, across a long enough timeline, you end up with a wholly different sport. And it's everywhere. It's not just football. It's happening at every level of every game that's out there. You want to talk about money as a sport. Here's just money in sports. Here's something. The NHL trade deadline. Now, my producer, Chris, can speak to this. Chris, did it not used to be one of the most, like, it was one of the most electric weekends or days of the year. It is, and it still is. (laughs) He says that. But now here's what I'll say you've watched over the last four or five years, there are no more blockbuster trades. Now the biggest trade that gets made is like, ah, well, this guy was overpaid anyway, but he got, he's a name. So we got shuffled to some other place. Salary dumps, rental players, Salary dumps, a lot of rental players, but rental players who aren't names, not stars on the last year of their deal. They're mediocre players. They're high end mediocre, but they're still mediocre. What that is is a league whose salary cap, because of the way that their league is gone, has, is flat year over year over year, but inflation keeps pushing contract prices up. GMs don't want to trade anymore. They go, listen, we're not buyers anymore. No one is. There might be one or two teams at the NHL trade deadline this year who buy at the deadline because they look at what the future holds. They look at their salary cap and go, listen, we'd love to give our fans a winning team but we don't want to spend that extra five million. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where sports is a business. And we go as fans, we pour our heart and soul into this. We pine for star players. We pine for wins. We pine for what we think will bring our city a title and the GM and the coach. You're going to sit down and go, we get the calculator out and what can we well what can yeah. we do to fill this seat? How how long can we keep this era intact and keep our jobs and and be living the dream? Yeah. 
because it's not for long in in sports so if you can put an error together even if you don't win a championship but you're there 10 15 crazy 20 years freaking that that that's that 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 ultimately is better than one Super Bowl win, and then freaking we swap out and and a regime change, and that's where where if we're going to transition a little bit into sports as a business and and use the Bills as an example, this is this is really where it hits home for me, because I'm so to start with, I think there's two two different factions of fans, and I think they're quite prevalent within the the, the Bills fan base. One fan is the old school people that know this, this is a business. Like if you're not getting the job done for get somebody else in here, that's going to get the job done. And then there's the other people who subscribe to this. Well, you know, it's a family culture and we're a family and I'm rooting for the, the, these guys to win, but really let's all just have a good time and, and nobody get hurt out there. And, and they're treating the, the team, this professional billion dollar franchise, like it's their kids T-ball team. And that, that to me, depending on which way you lean, depends on if you're chasing championships or if you're just maintaining the status quo and everybody's keeping their jobs and everybody's happy and we've got this family culture. And so before I get too long down this rant and, 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 and rave here, my, my first question is to you, do you think in a professional a professional franchise, the family culture is advantageous or a detriment to the bottom line. And the bottom line being winning, winning championships brings the most money in. Here's what I'll say. I think that competing brings money in just being competitive, especially here in Buffalo. I think that there is an incentive to just stay on the bull. Like if I can, if I can be, maybe we get lucky and win one. Really honest, maybe get lucky and win one. It seems to be the philosophy we're operating under. Whereas we get to watch franchises around the NFL who have the same cap constraints we do. They just choose to do it differently, or go they for choose it. Like to Rams spend did. their money differently, and they're in the Super Bowl year over year over year. And you watch a team like the 49ers and you go, "What's the difference between them than them and us?" We have defensive linemen. We have linebackers. We have a, a thing. They have Brock Purdy. We have Josh Allen. Why aren't we in those shoes? Coaching. And why aren't we angrier about the fact <laughs> that And that's where it frustrates me, is this idea that we're we're in this position. We're not supposed to be angry. We should just be happy. That's the one that frustrates and breaks my spirit, man. As as a born and raised Buffalo person, we should just be happy. He, like, ooh, thank you, sir, for a fucking wild card <laughs> loss. Are you fucking kidding me? See, I've already done this. I've already exercised those demons because oh, where I've fallen, well, I can on call this. on them at any point in, point in time, Drew. Where where I've fallen on this is the concept that we, as a football team have a structure internally where the GM thankfully is calling the shots. I think that the coach has a lot of input, but this, I think that he's made some moves here and there that tell me he's not wholly beholden to McDermott to run all of this. But when now, push comes to knows, shove, he got literally, I had a guy, I had a guy quit my group chat a week ago, maybe even more. Because not only did he get mad at me for my bashing of Sean McDermott last week during our season-ending podcast, but then also 
he got mad that I made fun of him on Twitter for invoking Doug Marone. He was like, oh, if Doug Marone had one more year and Kyle Orton was here, we could have made the playoffs and done what? It, if Doug Marone had Josh Allen, they probably would have been in a couple of uh, AFC championships. Hell, it's- if Dick Duran had Josh Allen, we'd be in the playoffs. Like, I mean, there ha- the standard has to be higher. He's not bringing anything to the table. He's not adding to the equation. He's literally the difference between them and us. And the funny thing is they gave him an extension. So you want to talk about sports and a business? What they did was they go, hey, listen, Sean, since you showed up. That was the most spiteful extension in history. Right when the seat was starting to heat up, it was like, no. They go, Sean, since you showed up here, this thing has been more interesting. So we're going to keep it going. Why? Not because they feel like they're any closer to a Super Bowl, but because it's what keeps putting us in the seats. And realistically, realistically, everyone out there who's afraid of going back to the drought, I just... I look at them and I go, you guys are cowards. It's PTSD. There has to be, it's, it's, I get it. We went through one of the worst things in professional sports. The longest drought. They made documentaries. But it, but it was literally the mindset that they're defending now of don't do anything drastic. It could always be worse. That kept that drought going so long. My that, thing is always, I lived it. I'm still alive. You can't kill me. Do it again. I don't give a shit. Can you do something that works? Take a gamble, roll the dice, get ballsy. The problem is, is that sports is a business. Means that they're going to continue doing what's in the best interest of the business. And in that way, the Buffalo Bills will never make any giant moves, right? Like they made a giant move to acquire Stefan Diggs. I remember that. And I'll tell you why. I was on the toilet when I heard, when I, when I got the text that someone saw it on Twitter. So I went down a Twitter rabbit hole just trying to find, like, is this true? Oh, my God. Do we really have Stefan Diggs? Is this trade happening? I was on the toilet for 45 minutes, and my legs went numb. And I literally tried to get up. You know, you wipe your ass. You get up, and you. I tried to, and I can't stand up. So I lurch forward, grab the towel bar, and then I kind of, like, get the door handle And then I flop out like a dead fish into the hallway. And I'm just laying there with my pants around my ankles. And my wife is on the couch looking at me going, what the hell are you doing? I go, shut up. The bills just got surroundings. And I'm laying in the hallway, pantsless, just on my phone. I have to see this. They have us. They have us captive at all times. And they know it. So you can get mad at Sean McDermott. And I can get mad at Sean McDermott. And it doesn't matter. That's really where I've gotten to. And it, you know, you, you want to know when it really drove home for me? The Brandon Bean's end of season press conference. Yeah. Because this this was the aha moment. If your boss doesn't know that you're fucking up, are you actually fucking up? No, you're fine. Everything is cool. So my my silver lining hope was that. That Brandon Bean as a football guy, as a as a bottom lines, wanting to win, as a competitor, deep down inside, he would know that his friend that got him the job wasn't up to it. 
and would at some point be honest with Terry Pagula that like, listen, we can keep this going and, and we'll be fine. But, but between you and I, what's stopping us from taking the next step further is our coach is not a difference maker. That's the, that, that, that's the end of story. Bottom line, what you want to do with that is up to you. That was my hope. That I've, was my, cause Terry was never going to be, never going to figure that out on his own. And the only people around him that could tell him that are the ones fucking up. And then Brandon Bean says in his press conference, like, listen, I know we're all frustrated that we haven't gotten the results that we've wanted to in that. And, you know, people are rightfully asking questions about Sean McDermott, but it's not like he's making bad decisions that are costing us games. What? Now, now uh, I don't want to get too far off on this to... tangent, but this this no, 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 but this is it. So here's the thing. Do you know everything about... you just exploded about? Everything you just exploded about. You do know that what they're going to do is they're going to spin this. You saw it. They fired Dorsey. Hey, the defense and special teams made a mistake. We fire our thing they can't spin, but nobody has the the football acumen to talk about it. Tony Romo hit on it in the moment it happened, and then it yep. got lost to the sands in time. And anyone I've tried to bring it up with has screamed and yelled at me that that's too too much detail. Too, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up to you, Drew. And and you you are one of the more analytical fans and and people out there that can also rant and rave with the best of them. It's, 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 it's a Please qualify that because I'm not the smartest guy. I'm just a dude who can, but you can do the ranges. Understand a little of X and O and I can also rant. So, Oh, we're going to learn from our mistakes. We're going to learn from our mistakes. This is what they've been telling us since 13 seconds. We've learned, we've learned, we've learned, we've learned. Don't see that. I think I think at that the, we at the end of gets at, at, at the end of the half of the Steelers game, their first playoff game. There's there's just outside. There's two minutes and thirty seconds left on the clock. They have second and nine inside the thirty yard line, and they they put their quarterback in a position to fail. They call a pass play or they let him pass, and he can't find anybody open or it's an errant throw and it's an incompletion. When second and nine. You run the ball, you run the ball, you run the ball, and you take it to the two-minute warning and then figure out the situation from there. You're up 21 points. You're up 21 points. You run the ball. Even if you get zero yards or no yards, you take it to the two-minute warning. You get a couple yards. Now it's third and short. Now you can run the ball again, potentially, and, and, and do the, the situation. But they don't. So because they call the pass on the first one, they got to call a pass on the second one now, and they fuck up twice on that, and they don't even get to the two-minute warning. But now they're also kicking. The kick gets blocked. Their punter gets hurt. The touchdown scored. And now the Steelers are back in the game when you had them by the absolute throat. Even if you just ran three times and kicked the field goal, you have a 24-point lead. Oh, okay, fine. You made the mistake. You you got your you got your hand burned, but you didn't lose the playoff game. So let's learn our lesson. Let's let's rewind the clock here and make sure we don't repeat that mistake again. Oh, so let's assess this week. When did this game start slipping away from us a little bit? What was the decisions in making so we don't do that again? Let me just finish up the nut here. So a week later, a week later, a week later, it's two-minute warning, just inside the 30-yard line, second and nine, second and nine, three-score game, three-point game. You have complete control of everything and been running the ball well. Running a second and nine, hopefully get a couple yards. But start planning for four dollars right off the kickoff. Have a plan ahead of time. 
don't make the decision when fourth down comes up. And are we going to go for it? Or are we not going to go for it? Plan ahead. Hamlin, plan ahead. Cut him loose. Plan ahead. <laughs> Do you call a run on second down? If you get a couple yards, you're in good position to call a run on third down. And now if it's fourth and short, you've got big giant fucking quarterback with the season on the line, with the game on the line, and you've got by throw. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, you don't want to score right away because you already learned that lesson the hard way because we learned from that that if you give him any time, he's going to screw you. So fucking field goal in two minutes on the clock and fuck going for a, 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 a quick touchdown. What are we doing here? There's, there's uh, no decision. Uh, no. This is as dumb as the, the fucking first the, – the, I... the, the Seahawks throw on the one yard line for the Super Bowl. We actually just made fun of that tonight during our podcast. We actually just made fun of that exact decision. Now, can I step in here? One I week, week just you like you disappointed in Sean McDermott. But if we're talking about this in terms of money and sports, what they do is they take all of this. Now we feel it. You and I as fans, you're a fan. I'm a fan. We look at this through the lens of how it makes us feel when the team does X, Y, or Z. They don't feel this. They have no emotion about this. Yeah. So what yeah. you're trying to do. That's why I hate this family mindset. Sean McDermott doesn't exactly. care about Bill's Mafia more than I care about Bill's I understand. Mafia. So I understand. Mafia, it's not because I'm an asshole. It's not because I'm a hater. It's because I want you guys to stop feeling losses. I don't want people to lose anymore. Sean McDermott doesn't give a fuck. He's still rich. Let me ask you. Well, let me stop right there. We are still both assholes. <laughs> we are still both assholes. <laughs> well, not for that reason. Yeah, but sure. For, for a plenty dozen of, other reasons. There's not plenty for that of fair reason. reasons. Give me the freaking... <laughs> That's why I like you. This is this is why I'm here. It's called Space Space. But what I will say is that they, they, right? The Terry Pagula, the Brandon Bean. Don't think that Brandon Bean isn't in that conversation where they go, hey. I don't think he realizes you see the nuance. This thing like that's he happening did. here ever since he showed up. Well, things are good. Asses are in seats. I can coinciding with Josh Allen showing up here. Here's what I'll tell you. 2017, Sean, uh, well, 2016, Rex Ryan's final year. There was a game against the Browns. I was there. There was a guy who has season tickets with us who sold it earlier in the year for the $60 face value the ticket was. And he found a ticket right next to us. For $13 with fees on StubHub. <laughs> for $13 with fees on StubHub. That was in 2016. Rex Ryan would go on to be fired. It was, first of all, it was the Cleveland Browns against the Buffalo Bills. You knew nothing good was coming out of that football game. <laughs> Every time they get together, they should do it on the Marshall Islands so that no one on the mainland is hurt. Because it's always a disaster. So that game happens. And then we go on to lose down the stretch and they fire Rex Ryan. And I go, I'm sick and tired of having December seats that I've paid $65, $70 for. That I'm surrounded by people who are paying less than 30. I'm the loser. I'm an idiot. You want to talk about sports as a business? I feel like an idiot for investing in this thing. 
I don't want to be a season ticket holder anymore. Why? Because, and I understand all the people who quit, everyone who ever stopped being a Bills season ticket holder, I get it. Because that drought was horrible. And you kept putting good money after bad, good money after bad, good money after bad. And where you ended up in his place. So then 2017 rolls around. And I'm getting my seats for $62 a piece. And the team starts to win. And everyone goes, oh, this is a fluke, whatever it is, what it is. These are fun, but it doesn't matter. Now, for the Bills home opener, you go online and try to buy a ticket off StubHub. What do you think you're going to what do you think you're going to pay? Probably three. We're going to three. Meanwhile, I, as a season ticket holder, who hung on, didn't quit, didn't lose faith, even though I, even though I hate so much of what I'm seeing. <clears throat> Still here. I pay 90. And this is where sports as a business cuts both ways. Where it's like, hey, look, you have this thing of everybody else is getting fat and happy and we're here shelling out and everything else sucks and everyone's getting taken advantage of by this system that is sports. I'll tell you what, I'm making out because for a product that usually yields a great tailgate and a great day and usually at home a great result, I only have to pay $90. Because I got in early. And there's a whole bunch of people who wish they could be where I am right now. If I were to cancel my season tickets tomorrow, they wouldn't blink. They would go, fine, bye. We go to the next person on the list. But let's let's really... It's a business. And in that way, you have to treat it like the business that it is. If you're ever going to reconcile it in your head and in your heart. <laughs> well, let's let, let's take that business one step further now, because I don't think, I don't even know if the people in the building who are in charge of the business have thought the business out this far ahead. I would, it would be, it would on one side be completely unfathomable to me if they, they, they didn't. And on another side, it would be totally Buffalo if they didn't. Like, like, like I could see both ends of the spectrum and, and still understand completely why they did or didn't. And, and what that is, is okay. Okay. We're going to keep Sean McDermott. We're going to, keep the family culture. We're going to keep this going one more time. We're losing a lot of our defensive players. The, the the league's moving away from defense. He had a whole bunch of hurt defensive players and still delivered pretty good defense. So I probably should start changing my philosophical vision on this team and stop and dumping this a ton of off- say, stop this offseason. This is the transition. But this is the transition offseason. Because this is your off-ramp. This is your off-ramp to try start moving towards offense, to not put a bunch of resources into your defense. And if, if you're going to keep McDermott, and he's so freaking great, then let him do fucking shit with piddly sticks and, and, and tinker winks over there on the defense and put everything but he in almost the offense. Did. And that's the thing. I go, listen, if I was going to go into a meeting and go, hey, listen, I almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs who are now playing for the Super Bowl with backups in multiple positions. I... Being a manager of people, right? Being a manager of talent myself. I would look at that and go, well, what that tells me is you can do more with less. So if anything, I want to see you do more with less. I want to put you in a position. Instead of feeding all these things you're asking for, what I want to see you do is earn your paycheck. You want to talk about money in sports? Hey, 
earn your keep because we're paying you a ton. This is supposed to be your area of expertise. And guess what? It almost worked. So do it again. We'll so, give you depth, but we won't give you high-end talent. Your job is to go get us here. And instead, we're going to think you have a chance to win with, with McDermott. That's the way to go. That, that's the way you, you have to go. But his ego is If they draft if another defensive player in the first round, if they, oh, they're going to. Boy. And this is where everyone needs to brace themselves. Because so, everyone goes, oh, we need a wide receiver. Let me, let me, let me finish but, the final step being of this. To us, well, what I'll say is being proved to us this past year that he's flexible. Because when everyone said they'll never draft Dalton Kincaid, they'll never draft a wide receiver or a tight end in the first round. Whether you liked Kincaid, whether you wanted Zay Flowers, they were all prospects in that range. You could have maybe traded up for Zay Flowers, but they would have given up shit on the back end. I don't know what those players are going to be. What I do know is that they made a point of trading ahead of Dallas to get Kincaid, which tells you our GM, regardless of what our coach thinks, is going, I need a playmaker. Yeah. Maybe okay, he's watching this going, I need a second playmaker. Let me take the business part of this, the extra step further. That's the real elephant in this room, um, in, in the Buffalo room, that is. This isn't just a, a, a typical regime that has a franchise quarterback and entering the later stages of his prime and freaking we, we've got a chance to win and let's just keep keep going with what we, we're going with the status quo here. The business hanging over this entire thing is you have this new fucking stadium coming down the pipeline, number one. Number two, you have PSLs coming down the pipeline that people are going to lose their minds over even if you were rolling a Super Bowl championship into that new stadium. So let's let's look at the roadmap now. You have two seasons, next season and the season after that before your stadium opens. So you could have gotten off of the McDermott train now and went all in on offense and started pivoting towards that right now or – we're going to run it back one more time. Okay, let's say you end up at the same spot to next season. Now you're changing everything over the year before you run in there because if you don't do it next season, you're definitely going to have to do it the season after that when pitchforks and torches are out for McDermott and the offseason heading into your new stadium because no one's coming if he's on the sideline. Now here's what I'll say. I just watched myself in the video doing a th thing that I've done in front of a lot of cops was this. Hey, 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 but I'm still holding a beer. Look, I always have the beer in hand with that. <laughs> this is where we're here's, headed. Here's what I'll say. When you think about things long-term, now you're talking to a guy who regularly tweeted at the Bills. I was like, you cowards, do the thing. After we lost to the, the Cincinnati Bengals, after we lost to the Chiefs, I was like, you cowards. Oh. You should see my 30-minute rant after the loss. Well, hang on, whoa, 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 but here's the thing. I tweeted at them going, right now, announce BSLs. We're already mad at you. So oh, careful, yeah, I remember seeing that. We're already mad at you. You might as well just throw it out there. Spill the beans. <laughs> now we can laugh at you. <laughs> exactly. We're already but as soon as they do, off. the standards for McDermott are going to go way up, just like you, like you were talking about before with the standards rising. Like you're not a barista anymore, bro. You're not a barista anymore. I'm not paying no, 95 not. bucks to come watch you anymore, pal. And this is it. So right now the team is in this weird place where they have this environment that this, this they don't the have to worry about his performance because pe people will still pay 
out the ass to come watch this football team play. All of the uh, StubHub and the Vista seats and all the other outlets that resell tickets can back that up. People will pay out the ass to come watch some Buffalo Bills football. Realistically, when you look at what this is going to be, the second that you introduce PSLs into it, it's going to change the entire conversation about what this team has to be. And at least at the start, it better be competitive. You better have a title or be on the road to one. You're, because the, if not, you don't have a title, there's no way you're rolling McDermott out that first season. If by between well, now and then you don't win a title in the next no two way. seasons, you're not know, selling no PSLs way. on McDermott's name. But you better have gone to one. You better have been there. You better have been in that conversation because sports is the a business. Worst thing they could do. Recognize we talked about. Worst thing they could do is get to another Super Bowl and lose it because it will be like they lost five straight. Yeah. Twitter but will you know will lose its mind that they lose another Super Bowl. I don't give a. Can I say this? And I don't want to offend your listeners or my list, but actually, I don't give a shit if I offend. Fire, fire away, man! This is no holds bar. Fuck Twitter. People on Twitter, like you, Fair you take. we're opinions, right? Like I'm on Twitter and all I do is retweet memes and I don't give people my opinions. I don't try to pontificate. I'm not out here. Like some, I don't want to feel like we lost five straight Super Bowls and Twitter's going to definitely make me feel sure. like that. And those people are hyperbolic and they have no place to put their emotions other than on social media. Now me, I go to my basement. I have a bar down there. I... My my wife, the number of times after a Bills loss this year where my wife is inside there, instead of digitally on somebody else, come down there at two o'clock in the morning and seeing me doing shirtless knuckle push-ups and just gone back upstairs. <laughs> she goes, he's got a bottle of whiskey on the floor and he's doing knuckle push-ups of the Bills lost. All right, I'll let him have this. Sounds like it's good for you. I internalize this. I don't throw it on social media. These people are whiners and no one cares. Brandon Bean doesn't care. Terry Pagula doesn't care. Sean McDermott doesn't care. The athletes, by and large, don't care. Yeah. Some of them get bothered by social media. Mostly. But more about their personal reputation than they do about their team's success. They Ultimately, where we end up is a place where we have to have some success. Because we're trying to sell a lot of things. <laughs> we're trying to sell. Sports are a business, right? We've been talking about this all night. You have to have success in order to put the asses in seats. Hockey hasn't done it. Their salary cap's been flat the last two years. NBA, I don't know what they are. Their, their trade deadline is great, though, because they get to shuffle around players who make millions of dollars because nobody else makes a dime. The NFL is the best in terms of money in the entire country and maybe the whole world. It's them in Premier League Soccer. We did a special during COVID about how the only sports league in America that can survive COVID long-term was the NFL because they're the only league that figured out how to make TV contracts worth more than the gate. They know money. They've been doing money for years. So you think the, the fact that San Francisco and Kansas city with Taylor Swift in the stands, you think that's an accident? <laughs> it's not. And this isn't even conspiracy theory. This is just, we put the right rafts in the right, Bills, do the right thing. 30 damn years. And it's just this thing of the machine keeps rolling. 
and it keeps your eyes on it and it, it draws your money and it does the things. The bills are the same way. The bills play us as fans. They pull on our heartstrings. They try to hope that we as fans will not look at the writing on the wall for a coach or for a player. And they keep trotting them out there going, listen, this guy can get it done and we're going to put out some hype videos and we'll make it all seem like it's great. A bunch of empty platitudes and we got work to do. We're going to watch the game film. <laughs> like that's it. That's it. That, that, that's all I can say. What I will say though, is that the runway for that shortens the second you ask me to come out of pocket for a grand. The second that you come to me and say, Hey, guess what? That grand you give me, I need another 1500 on top of it. Well, those PSLs are good. My, my guess is which is a business, but being a human being. And so we're all going to look at that and go, where is the team? Do we trust the coach? Do we understand the direction of the team? There are going to be a lot of people who step off the bus. There will be. It happens. Quick little financial breakdown for you. We went to Bill's Chargers. We were going to buy the tickets at the beginning of the season, and they were $200 a piece at SoFi Stadium. And I'm like, yeah, one of these teams is going to shit the bed. We'll wait and we'll wait and scalp them. And nobody here gives a fuck about the Chargers, so they'll, they'll probably be cheap because the Chargers always choke. So the, we, the, the Chargers got smoked by like 40 the, the week before Bill's Chargers, and we just watched on StubHub as the ticket prices just went down like a bad stock. Got our tickets for $15 a piece the day of and ended up paying $250 for a parking spot. What? $250 for a parking spot. <laughs> and there's all and because there's so much damn construction going on around there with the Clipper Stadium and everything else, there's there's one road in and out of friggin' Anglewood. So they literally still got you. They still got you, even though you made it on the tickets. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Sports is a business, baby. Yeah, this is it. So we, we, hey, we, it's, we, it's like it's like Wu Tang said: "Cash rules everything around me." Cream, get the money. We, we've talked about from the the organization side. We've talked about it from the fan side. Here's one that this is this is one as as somebody who considers themselves a writer and somebody that likes constructive criticism. This is the one that really chaps my ass. What is in your definition, and under the context of sports as a business, how would you define the sports journalist's actual job? Uh, well, I'll say this. I actually hold a degree in journalism. So what I'll say is your job as a sports journalist, if you just want to be that, is to report on the box score, get some quotes in the locker room, Tell me what you think you saw. Your take, because that's what sets you apart from everybody else. It's your personal opinion. Now, our friend Tyler Dunn. <laughs> Chris, he's a friend of the show, right? Yes. Yeah. Tyler Dunn put out something wildly unpopular. But true. But here's what I like. Is that I had... He saved McDermott's job. If that doesn't come out, they miss. This is what I want to talk about. He saved his job because everybody lost their mind. Business aspect. So you want to talk about what your job is as a journalist? Well, your job as a journalist is to tell the story, tell the story of what you saw, and then, then aside from the news, you can also print your opinion. You separate the two. 
And sometimes you can bring them together as long as it's clearly stated what is opinion and what's fact. If you do them both simultaneously, more power to you. What I hate is that people villainize Ty Dunn for attacking Sean McDermott. They go, well, it was a poorly timed hit piece. Was it though? Because my thing has always been, if if you don't like criticism, just win in sports. You'll, I mean, it could have been a better time hit piece if you wanted the team to close ranks and get their shit together and get the team float over everything if you just keep winning in sports. Kobe proved that. <laughs> Hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Kobe proved that. You mm-hmm. want to talk about business and sports? When Kobe's allegations came out, if we're just talking about sports as a business, the Lakers would have shut him down if he was anybody but Kobe. And at the same time, that dude was out there averaging 25 a night after the allegations, and they just let him roll. Why? Because sports is a business. That's a business. That's that company's bottom line. They're not going to put him on the sideline for morality's sake. So with that in mind, you've got a guy who decided to get on his soapbox that he built with his own two hands and complain about the coach. But then also tell the truth about some things that had happened. And everyone goes, he's an opportunist. He's a sandbagger. He's a hack. He's, this is what I heard it from my father. Oh, dude. I heard it from, no, no. I heard it from coworkers. I heard it from people who don't know that I know Ty Don. And I go, oh, this is amazing. Because what you did was you reached out and you touched people. You touched a nerve. And I've always said something. If you hear criticism and you know it's unfounded, you don't react to it emotionally because you know it's false. And when it's categorically false, you just go on with your life. (laughs) You just keep moving. It's like us in the stands jeering at a player going, boo, you suck. That guy's in the NFL. He knows he doesn't suck. He's at the pinnacle of what his sport is. He knows he doesn't suck, so he doesn't even respond to us. He just keeps it moving. The fact that people reacted so viscerally to Ty's criticism of our head coach tells you that they internally feel a little bit of it, and they're mad that he just is like, hey, I'm going to lay it out here at the most inopportune moment. But it's also a sink or swim moment for Sean McDermott, and we've been joking on our podcast for weeks that if the Bills were to have made the Super Bowl, and won it, they better let Ty come touch the Lombardi on stage. <laughs> because it's also because it's it's partly his doing because he exposed some of the dirty shit that goes on behind the scenes of a business. Well, businesses fire employees every day. Business have di- they have disagreements. I have a friend who works at the stadium who knows firsthand that after the 13 seconds fiasco, after that happened. Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, and a certain coach were just in the building yelling at each other. Like, they couldn't leave. <laughs> we're yelling at each other for hours. <laughs> was one. Uh, I'm guessing the only one that had the fire to start the arguments over and over again was fucking Dabble. Well, and then that person wasn't on the, didn't get fired, but wasn't on the staff the next year. Come on, didn't get fired, me, but wasn't on the staff next year. You're gonna so tell you me guys, it was freaking Mr. Mr. Nice Guy Leslie Frazier that doesn't get upset uh, about anything? Nope. So you guys you guys can do your own math on that. I'm not gonna put it together for you, but what I'll say is sports is a business, and realistically, whether it's right or wrong, 
the, the, the institution will always go with the highest earner. Yeah. And Sean McDermott is the building's highest earner. <laughs> he is the guy that puts the asses in seats because yeah. since he got here, since Terry Pagula has owned, owned the team, he bought a thing that was in shambles. And this guy turned it into something he can monetize. That he could build structures out. Off Josh of. Allen. LPS, but, okay, exactly. But what do you need? You need a signature oh. win late in the postseason for Josh Allen to declare that that's his. Yeah, season. but he can't get that when his coach is a jackass. So real quick here. Hey, no, no, no. I want to circle back You're to the journalism. As long as we're going to talk about Josh Allen and, and McDermott one more time. So I wanted to put a formula to this, Drew. I was so frustrated. I wanted to figure out exactly how much win probability is Sean McDermott bringing to the table versus Josh Allen bringing to the table. I wanted to come up with a, a, a logic a, a, a logic breakdown that could get me somewhere near that. And there's a whole blog here on the Sports Sushi website that you can see the breakdown, the math. So you know what I did? Because I knew... I knew everybody would be, oh, you, you, you cherry-picked Josh Allen. So I didn't cherry-pick Josh Allen. I sandbagged Josh Allen. The 2019 Josh Allen season, the one that before everyone, everyone credits 2020 as his breakout season. I just took the 2019 season, which, oh, by the way, I also wrote an article way back when about how Josh Allen's 2019 season proved he was already better than Jim Kelly because that season alone was better than every single season but one of Jim Kelly's seasons. And yes, I understand the differences in the leagues, but still. Anyway, the thought, the, 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 the thought exercise I did, what if every drought-era coach had 2019 Josh Allen? Holy shit. So I just, I factored it. How much time did you spend on this? I factored it like this. I took Josh Allen's passing, rushing, touchdown, and turnover stats. For every 100 yards above the the, the quarterback position as a whole that they had that season, I gave them six points. For every um, touchdown, no, touchdown passes were six points. Every 100 yards was a field goal. And every turnover was, was minus two points. And... And that came to a total amount of points that he had above what they had. And then I, I broke those points up over the closest games of the season. So like, let's say the point differential was 50 points and they lost the game by six. I took six of those, seven of those points, gave him a win. And now there's 43 to break up over the, over the other ones. The average win total for the, the entire drought era went from six and a half wins to 10 and a half wins. And then you, you factor in what the Bills are getting with McDermott, and they were getting 10 and a half wins. Freaking right around. You can go on there and find out. But basically, what it all broke down to is you could roll out Josh Allen and a bunch of fucking bums in, in, in his 2019 stats, not even the 20 and 20 and 20 and above, and you're going to win 10, 11 games in the season. You add Sean McDermott into the equation, and you're going to win 10, 11 games in the season. You're probably going to lose one because of bad coaching. That bad coaching game is in the playoffs every single year. So a scarecrow gets me to 11 wins. <coughs> Doug Marone gets me to 11 wins. Dick Duran gets me to 11 wins. Fucking Rex Ryan gets me to an 11 wins. You're adding nothing to the equation, Sean McDermott. What I love is that you broke this down mathematically about how much you don't like this guy. <laughs> This is, we as the pettiest Bills podcast. He's I appreciate he's a generic because I hate, I hate things, but I have to prove all of my things so that I don't like. I get where you're coming from. Now, here's what I want to say as we kind of wrap this up. I, I want to say on journalism. 
what I'll say is that I think everything in football has a trickle-down effect. You see where we are now. You see the teams, and it happens. The teams that win the Super Bowl, every team tries to model themselves after that. Every team, every team goes, well, the Chiefs are winning with Tyreek Hill. Well, we got to go draft the next Tyreek Hill. Turns out you can't. It's not that easy. Every team decides we're going to go draft the next, uh, well, like, what was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of the Ravens. They're like, well, we'll build the best defense. Guess what? The best defense doesn't always win. That's just not how football's wired. Over the years, the business of sports has pivoted and changed, and it's all it is, it, it's like an octopus. It changes its shape and its color, and it morphs, and it does these things. But it's keeping us all here. We're all here talking about it, and that's all it cares about. Do you know what? Now, obviously, hang on, whoa, whoa. But obviously, the trickle-down effect is that it affects college now. Now the college ranks are what they are. And there will be an updraft, even if they don't see it coming. In 10 years, the NFL will be very different than it is now. It will be harder to find safeties. It'll be harder to find tight ends. It'll be harder to find linemen who block well. Oh, yeah. Linemen is going to be real hard. A lot of things are going to change over the next few years because of the business that this has become. It's trickled down into high school sports. It started to affect children. Now you're talking about parents paying money into camps to send their kids to hope they can get into one of these programs, but hit the ground running quickly so they can get one of those NIL deals and make a little cash. It's, it's going to change the entire landscape of what we know of the game that brought us here to this conversation in the first place. And so if you want to bring that around back to our football team, which is the Buffalo bills, Money has changed the fact that Sean McDermott, whether he deserves to be here or not, puts asses in seats. His teams, whether it's him or his quarterback, but it would only land. It would only be sustainable in a city like this because we celebrate losers, and and at the same time we tar and feather people who to, who who are honest and tell the truth. This is this is the last point I want to make, and, and we'll kind of wrap up here. Well, Do you know what? I, well, but can I stop you real quick before you say what you're about to say? Last week in our podcast, Nate Geary was here with me, and we talked about the fact that we looked at the post game press conferences after losses from Sean McDermott, and then we looked at Dan Campbell from the Lions. Both of them <laughs> lost. Both of them lost games that were brutal in the way that they lost. And Dan Campbell goes on just very candid. This is going to be very hard getting back here. Like he's like, I'm upset because I know how hard it's going to be to get back here. If we can even do it at all. Meanwhile, if you look at Sean McDermott, he just, "Eh, it's okay. He's a generic football coach. He's a generic football coach. And the, the man said we got work to do 22 times defending rape allegations. That guy was honest. One the guy was one honest generic about how hard it is. And one guy spoke in what he thinks it takes to protect the business. And that's all you need to know is that there's no honesty left in this. They're going to sell us whatever they want to sell us. 
They're going to say whatever they have to say. They're going to spin whatever plates they have to spin in order to make this look like it's, hey, guys, this is just another bump in the road on our way to a Super Bowl. No, 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 no. What this is is you pissing away another opportunity. Yeah. This is this is one more opportunity in an era where we could have won maybe two Super Bowls by now. What you did this, and yet you don't want to be held responsible, and there's no one to hold you responsible. Outside of the tailgate and the game day experience, where did you find enjoyment through the drought? Oh my god, you, you know what it was? It was that it was the people, it was the people that made this fun. It was the randoms that we would we would encounter when we were throwing a rager and there was nobody out there. It was a thing of like, we're out here doing the thing that nobody cares to do because this team sucks. It was, it was, uh, Chris major league one major yeah. league one with the fans in the stands where they're actively booing. Yeah. Randy. Yeah. I was Randy yeah, Quaid. Yeah. I was Randy Quaid from major league. We were out there in the parking lots with the tailgate spread and people out there and, and people would just gravitate towards it and go, why are you guys so pumped up about this? I go, no, no, no. It's going to be dog shit once I get in that stadium. But right now is a lot of fun. <laughs> now it's pivoted and it's in there is a lot of fun. You're just going to have to pay a premium to get in. And they know that. And they're, they're leaning on it. Now, I'm one of those throwbacks that I want to see tailgate culture survive. I'm happy about the new stadium location. I will say that I know a lot of the people who currently have season tickets will not continue once they roll those PSLs out. Oh, no, no. With that no, mind, my uncle's already, he's like, that's pretty much when the end of the road comes for me. I'm not going to be able to afford it. But there's always a place. There's always a place for you to tailgate. So and that's what we've tried to promote. We're so so for me, it was something completely different. I, I I enjoy brutal honesty and gallows humor. So what carried me through the drought was the autopsy report from Jerry Sullivan, because he was honest about what a shit show this was. Yeah, and, and, he had, and he had a historical frame of reference to. Throughout the history, he understood the pain in a unique way. He understood how bad people wanted it and had his finger on the pulse, but he wasn't going to bullshit people. He wasn't going to blow rainbows and snow shine up their ass. So I, I loved that there, were, that there was so there was a cranky asshole with with with, with a, a, a platform that just told it like it was and held everybody accountable and didn't give a shit about being liked. And you know what are you supposed to talk about? After 17 straight years of shit, incompetence, stupid decisions. I mean, how do you keep putting lipstick on that pig? And the guy always found a way to make it funny, humorous, entertaining, and, and, and insightful. And ultimately, right when the team got good and there was something good to talk about, the fucking lynch mob comes for him and takes him away. Yes, he said his stupid shit on the train wreck report, but they already ran him off of the Buffalo News and want him out because he, he, he wasn't a homer. He's so mean to the team. He's a Brady lover. And it's just, it's such a bad reflection of our community that we can't handle honest criticism, especially when it's rightfully on it, rightfully do. Here's what I'll say. Jerry Sullivan is a guy who I actually ran into one night. And if it wasn't for Justin, uh, <laughs> Justin Yulberg, I would have, 
it, things would have come off the rails. But because we were there to meet him, me, my producer. You guys almost lady, got into it? My wife. Well, no. He was at the same whiskey bar we were at. And so I pulled the waitress aside. I saw him coming in with a cake, like a cake for a birthday party. And I go, holy shit, that's Jerry Sullivan. Now, mind you, I, I ran into him at the parking meter, and he was bitching about how much parking costs. And that's when I <laughs> dawned on me. I right go, on oh, brand. Hi, it's on brand. He's complaining <laughs> about the price of parking. It's Jerry Sullivan. The guy's like the Buffalo fucking uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, he's Larry David. And yeah. then we walk into this whiskey bar, and Larissa's like, my wife, I'm like, follow him. See if he's going to the place we're going. So she comes back. She's like, oh, no, we are. He's going into Lucky Day. So myself, Chris, my producer, and our friend Justin, we all go in, and we're sitting there. And I, I take the waitress aside, and I go, hey, can, I, can you do me a huge favor? There's a friend of mine. He's upstairs. Can you just give him a note? But don't read it. <laughs> Have you ever seen that TV show where they're like, don't just deliver it? Don't it's almost like the Toby thing in the office where he's like, hey, here's a present. And then she from HR, like his future wife, opens the box. She goes, it's just a rock. <laughs> it's like, hey, Toby's like, on the note, I, I wrote, kill yourself, signed everyone. <laughs> to take to Jerry Sullivan. And she obviously didn't take that. She <laughs> looked at me. She was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, oh, I'm broken. I'm a bad person. I don't know what you want from me. I'm awful. Let me go back to drinking whiskey in a corner. Realistically, people will say things we don't agree with, but it doesn't make them wrong. Now, Ty Dunn said things people don't agree with, but that doesn't make him wrong about McDermott's characterization. They're professional sports journalists. They're supposed to break stories. Like, for Christ's sake, how do people not understand this? It doesn't make him wrong about what happens to people in pressure moments. What I'll say before I get out of here is that sports are a business. The bills know that they're never going to get rid of Sean McDermott unless they have to, unless something egregious they happens. Selling PSLs if they don't have a title for the show for it. And this is where it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in the next two years. And this is the litmus test of what this franchise wants to be yeah. is what happens in the next two seasons. If we don't win that Super Bowl and you still want to trot out a $2,000 bill to me and to Chris and to everybody else who has season tickets and try to tell us that, well, you know, this thing you've been watching flounder around, even though it should be thriving, pay more for it. Pay me for the right to buy tickets to it. You're going to find that there is a breaking point the same way the drought era. Cause I've, I've been calling this the gilded drought. Everything looks nice. Yep. All covered in it's, it's all gold foil. But at the same time, we're not winning the thing that we know we could be. We now know we have the talent to win a Super Bowl. We're just not doing it. Well, that's only going to get you so far. And if you keep falling short of that, you're not you're going to struggle to put people in those seats. Yeah. So we are very quickly approaching the litmus test for what this franchise wants to be. And in that way, I'm excited to see, but I'm also nervous. As to how they approach this draft, how they approach free agency, their limited cap space. There's a lot of things there, but at the end of the day, I think we've gone through all of the cycles of how sports is a business. And also Taylor Swift being at the Super Bowl is not, it's not an anomaly, right? Like it's not like an accident. 
that Taylor Swift is being talked about as like, hey, her boyfriend, when you added $300 million worth of valuation to the NFL, like, hey, of course that's there. So you have supposed to shrug at that and go, eh, things happen. The Chiefs are just the best team, right? You uh you you had set me up perfectly for a closing segue to tease next week's show, and then you had to name drop right, Taylor Swift. Well, the the el- the algorithm appreciates another Taylor Swift reference. Um, but next week, uh, we're going to be kind of evolving the conversation you and I have had today. Del Reed, fresh off the Super Bowl, is going to be on next week's show, and we're going to be talking about the difference between good and great. <laughs> I'll t- I'll tell you what. Hopefully. Like we talked about it during, during our, our, what is the pettiest? Like it's Don Rickles doing a Super Bowl preview. We gave what, what is essentially a roast to both teams <laughs> because I can't, I think that these are the most unlikable teams I've ever seen in the Super Bowl together in my entire life. Yeah. Cowboys chiefs would have been pretty great. Hopefully Del Reed can inject a little bit of positivity yeah it'd be sweet if he actually does win fan of the year and then we get to be the one of the first ones to interview and talk to him afterwards uh drew before we go here uh what's happening on the rock pile report where can we uh see this roast of these two teams and what do you got coming up next well we're on youtube we're on uh stitcher chris why don't you do this you're better at this than me all right i'll do it <laughs> there we Hit go him. at Dang. twitter on twitter at rock pile report we're on youtube youtube.com slash the rock pile report we're on all the podcatching apps. Your Spotify, get this Google Podcasts, no longer a thing. <laughs> Apple, we're on Apple. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find the Rockpile Report. You guys should check out Millions.co. It's a sports social media site for podcasts and and athletes and brands and all that. Um, could be another, another platform to show up, throw up the show. Uh, guys, thank you for, for coming in here on, on uh, an off day for the Rockpile Report and, and doing this episode with me. Appreciate it. Uh, next week, we'll be here with Del Reed. And check out uh, gratwick.co to see everything we've got going on over there. Uh, I'm going to hit the end button now, and, and we're going to tap out. Later, guys. <laughs>